If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them please and open to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're looking today at verses 17 and 18. And as you know, the theme that we're following, of course, is how to live life according to Jesus. And it's based on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written. And uh, so we're looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount and today focusing attention on verses 17 and 18. The title of the message, Christ Fulfills the Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now notice a few words in verse 17. To begin with, the first three words, do not think. Evidently there were some in Jesus' day who heard him speak and teach and preach who felt like that he was ignoring the law, trying to substitute the law, trying to replace the law because of some of the interpretations that he had been giving as he interpreted the law and they felt like that he was trying to do away with it. So he begins by saying, do not think. That's the strongest possible prohibition that could be stated by him. It was unthinkable. Don't even think about this, he says. In fact, the New Living Translation says, don't misunderstand what I am saying to you. Other translation says, don't assume. You must not think this. So this is a strong prohibition on the part of our Lord saying to those who are listening to him, do not misunderstand what I am trying to say to you or what I am saying to you. It's the strongest way of that. This is just unthinkable. Then notice the words, I came. The words I came speak of a divine mission, a purpose for which our Lord came into this world and expressed in many different ways throughout the New Testament. But before here is saying, my purpose in coming into this world is in order that I might fulfill the prophets and the laws. We'll see more in just a moment as to what literally meant by that. But uh, I came, this expresses a mission and a purpose he came into this world on a purpose and for a purpose. Notice the word abolish. In the King James, it, it's translated destroy. It, it means to utterly overthrow. And the basic idea is to tear it down and to smash it to smithereens, as we would say, to just completely obliterate it. And he says, I did not come to destroy the law. I didn't come to do away with it. Rather, he said, I came to fulfill it. Now notice also he says in verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. This is his way of saying and anyone's way uh, in that day of saying, uh, he, he's making reference to the entire scriptures and the scriptures that he had in those days was the Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament had not been written yet. It was yet to come. So when he's talking about the law and the prophets, he's talking about more than the 10 commandments. He's talking about more than, than just uh, uh, predictions. He's talking about the entire scriptures from Genesis to Malachi. So the people to whom he was addressing would have understood that when he said the laws and the prophets, 
He was referring to what we call the Old Testament scriptures. So Jesus has emphasized that he had come not to destroy or to do away with, but to fill it full, to fill it full. All of the Bible, all of the Bible, from Genesis to Malachi, and then of course in the New Testament. So we could say from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is about Jesus. I've often said to you, this book that I hold in my hand is a hymn book spelled H-I-M, hymn book. It's about him. It's about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And especially today, as we focus on the Old Testament, we will see, I trust, as the Holy Spirit guides us to open our eyes and to understand that he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Now go back to verse 17 again, and he says, I did not come to destroy or to abolish the law and the prophets. I came, he said, to fulfill. And the word fulfill doesn't mean to add to it. Jesus didn't come and add to the law. He didn't come and add to the prophecies. Jesus came to fill it up, to complete it, to fulfill it. This word fulfill is used in other places of the New Testament. For example, when Jesus uh, came and um, was going to preach to the crowd, he got into Peter's boat, you remember? He got into Peter's boat and had him to push out just a little ways, and he addressed the entire crowd that had gathered to hear him. When he finished speaking to them, he then told Peter to push out into the deep. When they got out into the deep water, Jesus said, let down your net. And Peter said, Lord, and he was a fisherman, an experienced fisherman. He said, we've been fishing all night, all night long. We haven't caught, we haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, at your command, we'll let down the net. And the Bible says that when uh, Peter let down that net, I like to think that our Lord said to that little school of fish, you boys get over there and jump in that, in, in that net. And the Bible says that those fish filled up the net completely, was so full of fish when Peter tried to pull it in, it was so heavy and so full of fish, it was filled to the brim, as we would say. He couldn't get it in there by himself. He had to call for help. But the net was filled to capacity. Another time that this word fulfilled is used is when Mary, you remember, who went into the home where Jesus was, and she had a, a vessel of, of perfume. The Bible says it was, there was a pound of perfume that she had. Very expensive. She took that perfume, and when she broke the, the vessel that it was in, the aroma, the fragrance of that perfume, the Bible says, filled the house that they were in. I mean, it was just every corner, Nick and Nanny, that you might say, every, the, the aroma of that perfume just filled the house. This is the meaning, then, of the word where it says by Jesus that he had come to fulfill the law and the prophets, to just fill it up completely, not adding to it, but carrying it out to its completion. And so today, there are three things that I want to focus on as we think about our Lord fulfilling the Scripture. And the first one is this, that Christ fulfills the Scripture prophetically. Notice what it says in verse 17. I did not come, or it says, do not think that I came to abolish the prophets, but to fulfill so Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the prophets wrote about. Do you want to understand the Bible? Do you want to, to have the Bible to just burst a flame in your heart? 
Would you like for the truth of God's word to leap off the pages and fill your heart and your life with meaning? Would you like to find the key that would help you to unlock all that the Bible is about? The key then is the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. This book is about Jesus. Even the Old Testament is about Jesus. Keep your place here at Matthew chapter 5, but open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Just go over to the Gospel of Luke, this time chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verse 27 and verse 44. Now at this point in the Gospel record, our Lord has been raised from the grave. He is alive. Uh, he uh, is appearing to different people, and in this particular passage, he makes an appearance to two individuals who are on the road to Emmaus. And they are greatly disturbed. All of their hopes were in Jesus. They saw him as the Messiah. Uh, and yet now he's been uh, crucified. He's dead. Uh, their hopes, their dreams, their ambitions about the future kingdom have all been uh, dashed to pieces. Uh, they are mourning in their hearts uh, as they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them. And uh, he begins to open the scriptures to them. Uh, it is believed that it was seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so uh, Jesus took them on a seven-mile Bible conference. And he opened the scriptures beginning with Genesis and began to explain to them that the Old Testament was about him. Look at it in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And then skip down to verse 44. Now Jesus said to them, this is after he made an appearance there, he, he ended up appearing to the disciples, and he said in verse 44, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, talking about the, the journey with the two men on the road to Emmaus, while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Must be fulfilled. The word must, divine obligation. That it is going to and it must be fulfilled and it will be fulfilled. Man, wouldn't you have loved to have heard our Lord uh, uh, who inspired the word to begin with uh, explained all of the scriptures that pertain to himself. My, what a Bible teacher to listen to the Son of God as he opened the Old Testament scriptures and expounded upon them concerning those things regarding himself. Now, if you read the Bible, if you read especially the Old Testament and you don't see Jesus in the Old Testament, friend, you need to go back and reread the Old Testament. Standing somewhere in the shadows of the Old Testament verses, you'll find Jesus he is there. Write this verse of scripture down. Acts 10.43. Acts 10.43 says, Of him, that is of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Often I'm asked, how were the Old Testament people saved? God doesn't have two ways of salvation. 
God has only one way of salvation, and that is in his son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that meant for the Old Testament people as well as for the New Testament people, and the Bible says in the words of the Apostle Paul of Jesus, all of the prophets bore witness that his name, who would believe on his name, would receive the forgiveness of sin. So prophecy centers in and around the Lord Jesus Christ. Prophecy is not primarily about something. Prophecy is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, what does that mean? Well, to translate it or interpret it, it means that the design of prophecy is to bear witness to Jesus. You go back and read the prophecies that all of the Old Testament prophets predicted. All of them were about Jesus. It was the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is to make known the divine will of God. And the business of the angels, of the prophets, of the apostles, of preachers and teachers today has always been and always will be to bear witness and testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. The central theme of both the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament preaching is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This book is about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Now, as I said, when Jesus talked about the scriptures, he wasn't talking about the New Testament. He was talking about the Old Testament. When you step into the portals of God's word in Genesis 1-1, You begin to meet the Lord Jesus Christ on on almost every page. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John begins his gospel by saying, all things were made by him and through him and not was anything made that was made. It was all made through him. Jesus created this world. He was there in Genesis 1-1. He was before Genesis 1-1. Jesus is eternal. He never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. He is the great I am, always in existence. And so Jesus was there from the very beginning. The Bible is all about Jesus. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, he is our smitten rock. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet who is to come. In Joshua, he is the captain of the Lord's host. In Judges, he is the deliverer of God's people. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he is the anointed one. In 2 Samuel, he is the king enthroned. In 1 Kings, he is the glory of the Lord filling the temple. In 2 Kings, he is the royal seed. In 1 Thessalonians, he is the glorious king. In 2 Chronicles, he is the Lord who appears to Solomon. In Ezra, he is the Lord God of our fathers. In Nehemiah, he is the restorer of Israel. In Esther, he is the advocate who pleads for his people. In Job, he is my redeemer that lives and will stand upon the earth someday. In the Psalms, he is the shepherd, the son, and the king of glory. In Ecclesiastes, he is the significant of life and the key that unlocks the mysteries of life. In the Song of Solomon, he is our heavenly bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is Emmanuel. His name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the virgin-born Son of God. In Jeremiah, he is the divine potter, 
potter who is molding and making our lives. In Lamentations, he is the brokenhearted Jehovah who weeps over us. In Ezekiel, he is the glory of God. In Daniel, he is the stone cut out of the mountains without hands that will smite the image of this ungodly world upon its feet and then will become the kingdom of heaven that will fill the entire earth. In Hosea, he is the child called out of Egypt. In Joel, he is the Lord that roars out of Zion. In Amos, he is the judge of the nations. In Obadiah, he is the Lord of the coming kingdom. In Jonah, he is God's messenger to the Gentiles. In Micah, he is Bethlehem's baby, the one who will be the ruler of Israel. In Nahum, he is a stronghold in the day of trouble. In Habakkuk, he is the Lord in his holy temple. In Zephaniah, he is the king of Israel. In Haggai, he is the Lord of the host. In Zechariah, he is the coming Lord who will come riding upon a donkey in the city of Jerusalem. And in Malachi, he is the coming messenger, the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. This book is all about Jesus. All of the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus said he did not come to destroy or to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. Now there is by the process of elimination, we can see how the prophets of old would talk about Jesus. Let me just give you an example, just, just a brief example of this. The first prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God said to Adam and to Eve and to Satan that Satan would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. That is a messianic prophecy that God himself gave concerning the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, he was saying he would be a human being he would be a human being. He wouldn't be an angel. He would be a human being. And so you have the seed of the woman, a human being. In Genesis 9:26, there is a certain section of the human race. You eliminate the sons of Japheth and the sons of Ham, and you come to the sons of Shem. And out of that section of the race, the Messiah is to come. Then you have a nation that because the Bible talks in Genesis chapter 12 that the Messiah is going to become a descendant of Abraham. So what you now have is a human race, a section of that human race, and now a nation out of that race. Then comes a tribe out of that nation. In Genesis 49.10, the Bible tells us that Messiah is going to come out of the tribe of Judah. And then you find that the Messiah is going to come out of a certain family of that tribe. 1 Samuel chapter 7 says Messiah has to be a descendant of Jesse. Then you find that Messiah will come out of the woman of that family. Isaiah 7, 14 says she will be a very unusual woman, that she will be a virgin, but that she would conceive and bear a son. Then you will find out where this woman is going to be when Messiah is born. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 prophesied it will be in the city of Bethlehem. Then there is the time when Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem of this woman of the family, of the tribe, of the nation, of that section, and of that human race, that Jesus would be born. So you have a race and a section of that race and a nation and a tribe and a family and a woman out of that tribe born in the city of Jerusalem in Bethlehem, the Son of God becoming flesh. It is incredible how the, Spirit, uh, uh, how the Scripture fulfills 
uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't come to destroy the Old Testament. He came to fill it full. It's amazing, amazing how the Old Testament prophets painted a portrait of Jesus and filled in such minute details about, could you draw a picture of somebody you'd never seen? Could you draw a picture of somebody describing them perfectly, how you'd never seen him before, never heard of him before, and yet these prophets, some 20, 25 prophets over thousands of years, painted a minute, detailed, perfect description of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, all of the Old Testament, in the prophets fulfilled, and in the law fulfilled by the Lord Jesus. Christ fulfills the scriptures prophetically, but Christ also fulfills the scriptures and the laws practically. Notice it, second idea. Christ fulfills the law of God practically. Notice again in verse 17. Do not think he said that I came to abolish the law. I didn't come to do away with it, didn't come to destroy it. I came to fill it full, came to fulfill it completely to the brim. Not only did he fulfill the prophets, he fulfilled the law. The law is God's demands upon us. That's what the law is. We would know what sin was or is if it were not for the law. The law is God placing upon us the demands of what he and his righteousness demands of us. So Christ fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the moral law. The moral law, all of the things that the law demands of us morally, Jesus Christ fulfilled it. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and, go, and turn to the book of Romans, the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. The eighth chapter of the book of Romans. <clears throat> Beginning with verse 1. Romans 8 and verse 1. Therefore... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How did God do it? Sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who did not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Jesus Christ came into the world to do for us what the law could not do. The law places moral demands upon us. We cannot meet the law, the moral demands that God places upon us. But Jesus did. On one occasion recorded in John chapter 8, Jesus asked the question of those who were, or were going to crucify him, of what sin do you, do, do you uh, accuse me of? What sin have I committed? And of course, they couldn't find any. Why? Because he had done none. He had never committed. Jesus was the perfect, righteous, sinless son of Almighty God. He kept the moral law of the Lord. Not only did he keep the moral law, he kept the ceremonial law, the ceremonial law, all of those sacrifices. You go back into the Old Testament, where, uh, especially in the description of the, of the tabernacle, uh, where those priests would take a, a lamb and, and, and cut its throat and, and, and lay it on the altar there and let that blood just spill out all over the place. Why? That was a sacrifice. That was a ceremonial sacrifice. Uh, a lamb, an innocent lamb, a sacrifice for, for the sins. Why? Because of sin. Sin brings death. 
And here is death of a lamb. And later John the Baptist would point to Jesus and say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There was a Russian psychologist by the name of Pavlo who did experiments in what came to be known as condition response. Pavlo got some dogs and he put them in a pen and before he fed the dogs, he'd ring a little bell and then he would put down the dog food. And the time came when all of Pavlo had to do was ring the bell and the dogs began to, 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 to drool, to salivate. He had drilled those dogs what he called condition response. The ringing of the bell meant food. God in the Old Testament was building into his people a condition response. Every time one of those animals was slain and the blood was spilled out, that animal was offered on a smoking Jewish altar, what was God doing? God was building into his people a condition response. God was teaching them that sin means death, that the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will die. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the answer to that condition response that God had been building throughout the centuries. Jesus fulfilled every Old Testament sacrifice and ritual was, and that was God's ringing his bell teaching us that sin meant death and the only answer was the Lord Jesus himself. I don't need a high priest anymore. I've got a high priest. His name is Jesus. I don't need a sacrificial lamb anymore. My sacrificial lamb is the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. I don't have to worship on the Sabbath anymore. Every day is a day of worship for me. And we meet on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the moral law. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. And Jesus fulfilled the judicial law of God. And what is the judicial law of God? The judicial, judicial law of God is that the wages of sin is death, that you owe a debt and you cannot pay that debt, but Jesus Christ took all of your sins, placed them on a list, nailed them to the cross, and through his death on the cross, he became a curse for us and he became sin for us that through his sacrificial death, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who will believe. The law says, do this and you shall live. The gospel says, live and then you shall do. The law says, pay me all that you owe me. The gospel says, I freely forgive all of your sins. The law says you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. The gospel says herein is love, not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, that is the satisfaction for our sins. The law says cursed is everyone that continues, not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. The gospel said blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. The law says the wages of sin is death. The gospel says the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The law demands holiness. The gospel gives holiness. The law says do. The gospel says it's been done. The law makes blessing the result of obedience. The gospel makes obedience the results of a blessing. The law puts the day of rest at the end of the week. 
The gospel puts it at the beginning of the week because we have new life in Christ. The law says if. The gospel says therefore. The law says run, but it doesn't give us any legs. The gospel says fly, and it gives us wings. Why? Why? Because Christ fulfilled the law. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fill it full. Now, when God forgives you of your sin, God doesn't overlook the law. No, God does not overlook the law. God doesn't say, well, the law doesn't matter. It does. Listen, Jesus paid the full debt of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And for me, uh, for me, and now he fulfills it in me. He, in me. It's Christ in us. So Christ fulfills the scriptures prophetically. Christ fulfills the law of God practically. Now notice the third and final thing. Christ fulfills the word of God perfectly. Perfectly. Notice verse 18. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all has been accomplished. You may have the, the King James Version says the jot and the tittle. <laughs> not until the jot and the tittle is completely accomplished. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, for truly. Sometimes if you have the King James Version, it says verily, verily. It literally means truly. In other words, what he's going to say, it's the truth. Whenever you, you come across the word verily in the Bible or the word truly, it's like a, it's a warning. It's like saying, hey, sit up and take notice. What, what you're about to read, what you're about to hear is extremely important. Don't miss this, he is saying. So now he is saying, I didn't come to destroy the laws of the prophets. I came to fulfill it. Now listen, truly what I'm about to say to you not one little mark, not one jot, not one tittle will pass away until all has been accomplished. Pay attention. Now what's a jot and what's a tittle? <laughs> In my translation, it's read, it, it's translated, uh, uh, it will, it, the smallest letter or the stroke. Uh, in the Hebrew language, just use your imagination for just a moment. When, when you read a, a Hebrew Bible, uh, you, you will find in, in the Hebrew alphabet dots and dashes. Uh, in the original manuscripts, the Hebrew language didn't have vowels. So there came a time when, when nobody knew how to pronounce Hebrew. And, and so they had to go come up with a means some way to, to put dots and dashes on it. And the dots and dashes are the vowels of the Hebrew alphabet uh, so that you can pronounce the word. And uh, the jot and the tittle, the, the jot and the tittle would be the smallest little mark that can be made in the Hebrew alphabet. It would be the equivalent of our comma or the dot on the small letter I. And what he is saying is the most minute, the tiniest, the smallest, the seemingly most insignificant part of the law will never be done away with. Every little iota, every little mark, every little point, every little dot, every little dash, every little letter, every bit of the law of God will never pass away. God's word will never pass away. He says it will stand forever. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew. You're in the gospel of Matthew. Look at chapter 24 and verse 25, 35. Matthew 24, 35. Matthew 24, 35. To get the whole idea, look at verse 32. Matthew 24, 32. 
Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already begun to become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that, they, that the, he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And when he says not one jot, not one tittle, every part of God's word will be completely fulfilled. And when it is completely fulfilled, it will remain fulfilled and it will stand fulfilled forever and forever and forever and forever. Isaiah said, the grass withereth, the flower fades away, but the word of God stands forever. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so my word will not return unto me void. The words that come out of my mouth will accomplish what I desire and it will accomplish everything that I send it to do. God's word will and always has been and always will be fulfilled and it will stand forever. Now take your Bibles. You're still in Matthew chapter 5, I hope. Just go back to Matthew chapter 1. Let me show you one final thing about it. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 1, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 1, and look at verses 22 and 23. Matthew 1, 22, 23. <clears throat> Matthew 1, 22. Now all this took place to do what? Fulfill. All of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated means God with us. Look at chapter 2, still Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 15. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15. He remained there, well again, go back to get the full idea, look at verse 13. Now when they had gone before, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and fled and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the law through the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. Skip down to verse 17. Matthew chapter 2, verse 17. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Then look at verse 23. Skip down Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. And came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And finally look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 4, 14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. This is the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death upon them, a light has dawned. And what I'm trying to point out to you by, by referring to those verses of Scripture, when you read through the Gospels, Again and again and again, you'll find the phrase, and in order to fulfill the scriptures, in order to fulfill what the prophets said, all of God's word perfectly fulfilled to the very iota, to the very dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. So I ask questions. Did Jesus believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures? You better believe he did. Did Jesus believe in the infallibility of God's word? You better believe he did. 
Did Jesus believe in the indestructibility of God's word? Of course he did. Did Jesus believe in the authority of the word of God? Of course he did. And if Jesus is your master and Lord, then your master and Lord's view of the scriptures must also be yours. I heard about a man who was presiding over a business meeting at church. And in reading of the scriptures, somebody read the scriptures. And, and he said, now, if there's no additions or corrections, the scriptures will stand approved as read. <laughs> well, indeed they do. It doesn't need your approval. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God wrote it and it's true whether you believe it or not. If there are any errors in the Bible, then you have to say one of two things about Jesus. If there are errors in the Old Testament... Either Jesus was ignorant of those errors and therefore he was not omniscient and therefore he wasn't the son of God. Or else Jesus knew that there were errors and he pretended that they were not. Therefore Jesus was dishonest and a fraud and a fake and the Bible is exactly what Jesus believed it to be, the inerrant word of God. So is he? Is he a fake? Was he a fake? Was he a liar? Was he ignorant? No, he was the son of God. He is the author of this book, God's holy book and he came to fulfill all of the scriptures now listen to me and I'm through there are over over 300 almost 350 references in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus the first time there are more than that in the New Testament concerning the second coming of Jesus and if everything about the first coming of Jesus has been fulfilled Friend, you can bank on it that everything in the Bible of the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus is going to also literally be fulfilled. Jesus is coming back to this earth. Now those, when Jesus came the first time, the people didn't recognize him. The Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not. What is it going to be like when Jesus returned? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you been born again? Have you been aware of your sins and have you asked, prayed and asked the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and to save you? He came into this world to fulfill the law which required righteousness on your part. There's no righteousness on your part. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. It is all a gift of the Lord. That's why Jesus came into this world to become sin for you, fulfill the prophecy, fulfill the law to the very letter so that you might be saved. If he were to appear today, if he were to appear right now before we dismiss this service, would you be ready to meet him? Would you be ready to go to heaven? If you were to drop dead right now in the pew where you're sitting, would you be ready to meet Jesus? Let's bow together. I pray that you are ready to meet the Lord. And if you're not, you can be right now. I've got great news for you. You can be saved right now where you're sitting. You don't have to walk down an aisle right now. But surely you would want to if you've trusted Christ as Lord. And don't ever be ashamed to trust Christ publicly. Let people know that you love the Lord. But if you're here today and you've never invited Christ into your heart and accepted him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He wants to come into your heart, but you've got to invite him. You've got to pray and ask him. You've got to pray and admit to him that you're a sinner and admit to him and confess him as Lord and Savior, the ultimate sacrifice for your sins. And you have to pray. Believe in your heart and express it with your mouth. Just say a prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I love you, and I know that you are God's son. And I know that when you died on the cross, 
that you were fulfilling the law and the prophets and that you died for me. It was for my sins, Lord, that you died. And so I'm asking you now to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. I invite you now to come into my heart, Lord. I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord. And from this point on, I will live my life for you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen.